Hello and welcome to Not Bane Podcast, your weekly rundown of UK politics from a Black millennial view. Every week, join me, Bay, and Corey as we look at Parliament and stories from across the diaspora. Welcome back, welcome back. We are back after the Easter holidays. Hope everybody had a wonderful break. Today, we will be talking about, on the domestic front, talking about the Prime Minister and all things lockdown party gate. Yes, he got up in front of the House of Commons today and gave a most humble apology because, yes, if you were paying attention over the Easter break, he had to pay a fine for all of those lockdown party breaches. Then on the international front, the diaspora story, we will be talking about Rwanda. I'll be talking about the new policy of the UK government of taking refugees and uh, flying them as soon as they reach Blighty. They will be sent straight to Rwanda for processing. So controversial policy, we'll be looking at that as our international story. Boris Johnson is facing more pressure. Do you know what he reminded me of today? Yeah. Parliament mm. stood up and offered his humble apology. Humble apology. I make no excuses. Humble apologies. Humble apologies. <laughs> With all humility. <laughs> Um, what he, remind, he reminded me of, um, you know, just being in the headmaster's office for, you know, I don't know, talking in class multiple times and not stop. It was very, it was just very headmastery, unruly pupil vibes I was getting from him. I shouldn't be getting those vibes from the leader of Her Majesty's government. That that should not be the case. Would you agree? Would you to use to 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 repeat? what was often said today. Would you agree with me that I am right? I would not agree with you. I would not agree with you that you are right, no. What, he wasn't giving you kid in the headmaster's office vibes? No, it was giving more, uh, setting, getting my MP to set up lots of questions so I could consistently look contrite. You know, every time, oh, well, don't you think this? Well, you know, I make no excuses for my behaviour. I accept the police's findings and I've paid my fine and I want to accept my apology. You know, I don't want to mislead the British public. I want them to know that I do sincerely apologise. And while Ukraine is important, so is the running of this country and I made a mistake. So every course, single thing that, that somebody said, they say, I thought they, they teed him up to be able to say, no, no, but the British electorate is important to me and I do apologise. <laughs> I mean... Per, like, do you know what the worst thing is? Like, sure, yeah, you should apologize. But all of this, oh, we should stop um running down the prime minister. He did his best. Oh, you know, he's done the most out of any leader of the in the free world for the you for Ukraine. It's like, guys, you cannot on the one hand say, Oh, yes, you know, yes, he's sorry, he's sorry, he's sorry. And on the other hand, saying, actually, no, he did his best. He didn't do his best. That's the problem. He's not trying to do his best. Like, there's people out here who are not able to go to their family's funerals. There's people out here who were, you know, were not able to spend their, their members of their family's last moments with them, were saying goodbye to them over the phone and through an iPad, while Boris Johnson was like yucking it up, having work drinks. Come on. He absolutely should be contrite and should continually be contrite and will need to continue to be contrite because there's other parties that they're going to be looking into. So we are, of course, speaking about the first day back after the parliamentary recess, parliament back from their Easter holidays. And the on the first day, we had Boris Johnson in front of the house telling everybody how sorry he was, because unless you've been living under a rock, you know that he was fined uh, an undisclosed amount of money uh, for being at lockdown parties at, uh, 
in, in number 10 Downing Street over the lockdown period. So that happened over the Easter break. And he came before the House today to humbly apologise. So this precedes a vote which will be taking place on Thursday this week. I think it's Thursday or is it tomorrow? No, it's Thursday, where MPs will be voting on whether to refer the Prime Minister to the Parliamentary Privileges Committee. And that is essentially a committee who will then determine whether he misled Parliament. Now, the ministerial code, which all ministers are supposed to sign up to and do sign up to, and the Prime Minister being the Chief Minister of the Ministers, it's got his signature on it. The ministerial code says that if a Member of Parliament is, or if a Minister rather, is found guilty of misleading Parliament, then the Minister should resign. So there'll be a vote first on whether to refer him to this committee. Then if he's referred to the committee, they will then decide um, whether he's misled Parliament. And if they then find that he's misled Parliament, obviously nobody's going to sack him. Nobody's going to force him out in the, you know, as you would think of it, as it were. Uh, but it would be, he should, according to his own ministerial code, fall on his sword. However, there are a lot of ifs, buts and maybes there. I don't even think it's going to even pass the first hurdle of being voted. Of course he won't. They've got an 80-seat majority. I don't even think they're going to refer him to the committee in the first place. You know, as much as we can say, we know that these lot, they rally round. So at the end of the day, it you know, they might have all been making noise at the time, but when it comes to it, power is the most important thing because power is what gets you the dodgy contracts. Power is what enables you to give out contracts to your mates and all the rest of it. So that's the most important thing. Is power. So then nothing's going to happen. At the end of the day, uh, Boris Johnson continues also to win elections for them. He, as they quote unquote said, he got Brexit done and I believe he can get this done too, is what they've been saying, you know. So they don't really care. I think it probably comes at a good time for him as well because yeah. we, you've got the, the local elections are coming up. Local elections are going to mm-hmm. be about three weeks' time. So <clears throat> I guess if in an alternative universe where maybe uh, this had all been delayed a couple of weeks and they had a really, really bad performance at the local elections and then the vote took place. Mm, things might be a bit different, but as it is, the vote's going to be this week. Yeah, I, I don't think they're going to vote for him to be referred to this committee. I Even if he is so. referred to the committee, the committee has a Conservative majority on it. Um, so again, I, yeah, I just don't see it happening. So uh, we just have to be, I think we just have to be realistic, don't we? You know, we can tear, we can tear his singlet, we can make him feel shamed, we can apply pressure to our MPs, just even so they can get a sort of gauge of the um of the the public mood. But really and truly, it doesn't matter. You know, 75% of people that you have polled so that they don't have um trust in the prime minister. Does it matter? 75. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of people. And I think there's been something like a 56, 60, 60% of people who just said they don't have any trust in politics or politicians right. or the system of government as well. And that's something that's really been talked about, about the erosion of trust in um, public politics. But this has been something that's been coming for a long time. And it started, I think, with all the stuff from 2019. It's been an ongoing thing. And I think a lot of young people have also pointed out how it's quite clear that politics is very much not marketed towards them it's not about any sort of anything like rental protection it's all about protecting you know pensioners homeless people who are you know clearly uh Tory voters because they're the ones who are in power so of course they're going to be um marketing no sorry not the homeless sorry homeowners apologies (laughs) so they're going to that's who politics is marketed towards and as long as those guys are voting and their mortgages are not going up 
they're not everything else is you know second and third fourth and fifth well the bank of england have put up interest rates for the second month in a row and they might be doing it again well so as long as they're well i'm sure half of these lots mortgages already paid off or are buy to let well <laughs> fair enough um i think i think a, a gauge uh one gauge all gauges are pretty vague but one half decent gauge of seeing what the because this really all that matters is what the what's going on internally in the Conservative Party, isn't it? It doesn't matter. The, yeah. You know, Ian Blackford and Keir Starmer and Ed Davey and all the Keir Starmer is not even trying. I'm <laughs> so sorry. Even if they were, it doesn't really matter because at the end of the day, it's a numbers game. And the way our parliamentary system is set up, it's whoever gets the most votes wins. Um, well, whoever's got the majority in the House wins all the time. So at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what the, the opposition parties think, say, or, or shout about. It matters about what's going on internally in the Conservative Party. Yeah. Are there enough people to turn against him? And so one one way of gauging that, I guess, sometimes is looking at what the responses are like in the House of Commons. So today, um, you had a lot of questions from Conservative MPs, obviously, and from opposition MPs. And of the, I watched, I watched most of it. I cut out about an hour after it started. But I watched most of it. I think it didn't go on for much longer. There was probably about 30 questions on each side. There was one Conservative MP who then subsequently, an hour later, um, published his letter to Graham Brady calling for the Prime Minister to go, Mark Harper. There was only one MP who basically said, who broke ranks in the whole in the whole um, session today. So mm. <clears throat> I think that is pretty clear. It's, it's pretty clear that there's not going to be much breaking of ranks when it comes mm. to this vote. Um, to, to recommend that he be he's investigated since you only had one person who was who gave any kind of you know the closest you had apart from Mark Harper who basically said bluntly he has no confidence in Johnson and he basically said that he should go apart from that the closest thing you had was a couple of people Peter Bone included who I wasn't expecting it from who basically um, said there was two of them who said words to the effect of can the Prime Minister promise us that this will never happen again? Basically, if you say yes, which of course he was going to say yes, it's all water under the bridge. I mean, everything else was just out and out support. Those are the only two of the three of those three speak, uh, questions, which was you could slightly say was a bit challenging. And I think that's what's so ingenuous. It's like, fine, yes, yeah, sure, um, you know, back your boy, that's your party, but at least have some sort of uh, respect for your constituents to offer some sort of resistance to it, even just to be, you know, to be saying, you know, to let you know, my because a lot of my constituents have voiced their, their concern and their disappointment with regards to how this matter has been dealt with, a clear disregard for the rules and a disregard for how everybody else has had to had towed the line to meet these rules. But none of that is just, oh, we're so we all accept every your apology on behalf of everybody. Who told yeah. you that that you get to do that? Well, I for one am, I want you to you to get back to work. Has sorry, has him saying sorry. Has him been focused? Um, he's it's not stopped him from doing his job or not really, has it? I didn't realize he was, you know, grafting day and night, and somehow him having to say sorry is stopping him from doing that. He's come in and made one statement after Parliament's been on recess. Calm down. Speaking of MPs and their constituents, Jake Berry, who's the Conservative MP for Rosendale and Darwin, the only reason I remembered it, I mean, I am usually good at my homework, but that's not why I remembered because he's the MP for Rosendale and Darwin. It was because Rosendale and Darwin obviously is up here in the Northwest and I pay attention to our Northern MPs. Anyway, 
the Jake Berry, he had the gall to basically say, not only did he what say what you've just said there in terms of ignoring what the constituents think, he co-opted his his constituents and he spoke for them and basically said, I know that my constituents will appreciate and accept the, the Prime Minister's apology. Like, how do you know they, they accept his apology? He's right, given it. exactly. Not ask them. I would be really intrigued to see what his input, inbox looks like and what responses he's actually even said sent to people. Mm. Because I, my MP, I'd be emailing him saying, don't speak, don't say that. Don't say that for me. And you'd be telling you, well, I've decided that, you know, or even, even more than likely just ignoring you completely. Well, yeah, I wouldn't get a response for that. You know, what did you think of uh, Keir's con- single contribution? I thought your boy, Keir Starmer, for once, I've got some good things to say about him. No, I go thought, on, do tell. I thought he, well, not for once, I'm sometimes, I think I'm more kinder to him than you are. Anyway, I think he started excellently, excellently. It was great. He was, he was very, he was very forensic. Was he? He was very forensic. No, he, he came out of the blocks as soon as Johnson sat down and he, he, he did really well. He gave that kind of, it was, it, it was clearly a barrister's, um, closing statement, you know, it was it was very sharp measure. You can tell he was a barrister on the side of government. That's yes. what I'm gonna say for that. Okay, whatever. <laughs> but it was that but it lacking in that. creativity. No, it wasn't just clear. It was he also gave that sort of impression of just utter disappointment and I think he's consistently fails to um he's I think his opening statements generally are always quite good is when it comes to the return service just sort of is very very lacking and um I, I did like the point where he t- he talked about him bringing everybody else around him careers down as well you know he talks about Rishi Sunak's career being up in flames Dominic Raab's career going down the toilet I thought those are all quite uh good little jabs just to make the people around him feel as if, as if though he's a liability and, you know, attaching theirs, themselves to him is going down with a sinking ship. Um, but, you know, I've seen it. It was better than I've seen him for a while. I will, I will concede that point. No, it was good because, like I said, he also, he managed to channel, because most people just are just not impressed with Johnson. Well, I say most people. A lot mm. of people are just like, just, just don't find him impressive. And he mm-hmm. managed, he managed to channel that kind of, I think, did he use the word pathetic? He did. He started off yeah. and he just used the word How one word. pathetic. Pathetic. And he kind of just let that sit. And I think that's how a lot of people feel about Johnson. So I thought he did really well. I think if his voice wasn't so rubbish, it would help. This is the problem. So there we go. So then there was a bunch of jeering because I think he used, uh, again, he used the word lie. Did he say lying or dishonest? Lying. No, dishonest. That was it. He used the word dishonest. And this happened about four or five times today where MPs either use some some conjugation of the word lie or liar or lied. Um, and Lindsay... Uh, I don't think so. Uh, listen, I, we're not going to use those words. You need words to withdraw. Today. So I'm, I'm sure the honourable gen- the right honourable gentleman will, will, will withdraw and he will make use another word. Anyway, um, that sounded a bit more Yorkshire, Lizzie Hosel Lancastrian. Anyway, I digress. Um... That, at that point, though, he completely got knocked off. And that's the problem. He can't adapt his speech. So this is what I'm saying. That's how you can tell he prosecuted for the government. Yeah, you don't need to adapt. It's already on your side. Because he just continued. Can't think on his same. feet. Exactly. He just continued with Dead. his speech instead of kind of just in using the circumstances to switch it up. So even though it was the same kind of speech that he gave before the jeering, that he gave after the jeering, after the jeering, it just felt like a, mon- a monotonous, boring 
guy talking words when it was the same things he was saying before, but because the atmosphere in the House of Commons had changed, he didn't adapt to it and jump on it. So that's the problem. That that's that's the problem. That's the problem. But I guess at the end of the day, like you're asking a lot. But then again, if you're gonna go for that kind of position and that high office, then maybe you should be cut out for it, and maybe he's not. Um, because he could have really just gone for the jugular, but then he, but instead he just continued what he was saying before. Mm-hmm. Even though what he was saying before made sense, it's like, okay, move on to the next thing now. Like, do something else to just crush it. And he doesn't have that, he doesn't have that killer instinct blow rhetorically, obviously, not physically. Um, just doesn't have it, or he doesn't display it. Um, so, yeah, that was it, really. I was happy with the start. It was really good. And then he just flopped. Oh. I wonder why. And the thing is, he was getting some. I had to, he was getting just one last thing. He was getting some good pointers from his own side. So when they started, the Tory benches started jeering when he used the word dishonest. You, there was some Labour MP behind him who said, "Say criminal, criminal," because he, no, he didn't. Him. Yeah, I know. I saw he didn't he say that, and nobody could tell him not to say that because no. he was, he's he, been given like, a fixed penalty notice. Yeah, for breaking the law. So he could have just adapted, even if it, yeah, okay, we just he could, you know, could say he was just he's just be copying what somebody else and if but if you as a leader of the party who has to speak at the the dispatch box Mm -hmm. cannot think on your feet and adapt especially when it comes to arguing um for you know the public against boris johnson then what hope do any of us have as you as opposition and the other half of the time he spent praising the the odd few tory mps who spoke out against boris you know six months ago rubbish rubbish Every day, flags. It has got to be tough, though. I mean, you're in it. So for starters, you're in a, you're in a. a, a Kira is getting a much easier run of it than, um, than Ed Miliband and um, Corbyn, and he's still piss poor. No, but it's a tough job. Think about it. You're in the chamber. Corey, I un- Corey, Corey, I understand it is a tough job. What I'm saying is that he is getting an easier go of it in the face of one of the biggest crises, not just only the country has seen, a cost of living crisis, a global pandemic, a fa- you know, a, cu- a currently we're facing a war, a, a cabinet that has consistently disregarded rules that they set in the place at a time of um, a global pandemic, a chancellor who's one of the, is the richest MP that we've ever had, Who's um who had citizenship of another country and whose wife hasn't has not paid any taxes while she's been while he, he's been um chancellor and an MP and the best he can do is congratulate a few MPs and say pathetic. Do your job. You are the leader of the opposition and you absolutely refuse to oppose this government in any sort of material way. And if you cannot do your job, give it up to somebody who wants to do it. You're getting an easy ride of it in the press. You're getting an easy ride of it at the ballot box. You're getting an easy ride of it in in Parliament on a day-to-day basis and you're still rubbish, poor. I'm sorry, like... We have to stop making excuses for him. Every day, forensic, forensic, forensic. Okay, great, you're a barrister. Let's see it then. You can, you can make an op- opening statement and then you can't, then from there, it's just, you know, fizzles out. Rubbish, come on. Hold the, this government's feet to the fire. They're talking about de- deporting asylum seekers to Rwanda. They've got a nationality and borders bill that is about stripping citizenship from British citizens. They've got a... Um, a protestation bill that is about criminalizing protests. You've let the spy cops bill just pass through un, um, un, um, what's it called? unencumbered. Come on. The House of Lords is doing all of the opposing for us at this moment in time. Everything else, and you get Ian Blackford every now and then making a little bit of a stink, and the SNP, the rest of the time, um, Keir Summers um, asking Boris if he can brush his hair. Rubbish. 
sorry to get irate, but I'm just, I'm just, I think it's just, like, if this is a person that this country is lumbered with to hold the, um, the Conservative Party to account, we are going to be stuck with these guys for another 20 years. And the cost of living crisis is only going to be the tip of the iceberg. We're going to be drowning in disaster capitalism where we've sold off every last tract of land to these lots mates. And we're all begging in line in food banks, hoping to get some sort of subsistence wage for the next 50 years. So prior to Boris's statement in Parliament today, Priti Patel was there um, um, answering questions and giving her statement about this new floated, it's not even floated, this new actually uh, agreed and decided um, immigration reform, which is going to see £120 million used to pay the Rwandan government to set up an asylum processing office for the United Kingdom in Rwanda. And it's not, I think, what people have been confused about, it's not a processing office where asylum seekers will be taken from here and process their, their asylum claims. It's once you're taken there, you can apply for asylum, but you cannot apply for asylum in England. Essentially being moved to Rwanda means that you're no longer eligible to apply for asylum in England. You can apply for asylum in Rwanda, you can apply for asylum in a third country, or you can um, apply to be sent back to your home country. Those are your options. So it was originally floated that it was only going to be men because Rwanda has a shortage of, shortage of men and requires them you know, for labour and work in the country. Since then, I think there has been quite an uproar. It has been said that it won't necessarily be men and each case will be decided on a case-by-case -case basis. Pretty has said that the reasoning behind this is because they want to stop the terrible trading in human lives that people smugglers are engaging in by sending boats across the channel. And their way to combat this is to allow boats to come across the channel, collect up those people and send them to Rwanda. I think the idea is um, that the thought of people being sent to Rwanda will mean that they sort of crossing the channel, which to me seems highly unlikely. It seems more likely they will cross the channel in the hopes of being evading capture or just being going to Rwanda and then being smuggled from Rwanda. I do think it's also too important to point out that um, the British government will not just be funding the uh, processing, they'll be funding the staff, the maintenance, the uh, monitoring of the scheme. They'll also be funding the, the refugees who do actually decide to take up residence in Rwanda by um, funding their applications, them setting up a life there. Essentially, they'll be paying them to stay in Rwanda, which is what I read most recently. Um, and Rwanda has come out and said, actually, uh, the president has said that they'll be happy to accept refugees from most places, but they won't really be trying to accept rep refugees from neighbouring countries. So in, I'm assuming in an attempt to deter economic migrants from surrounding countries like Botswana, etc., in the hope that what will actually happen is it will be people who are from, who have tried to get into the United Kingdom rather than people who have taken the route of coming from a neighbouring country to Rwanda, going to Rwanda as a UK um, asylum seeker, and then accepting the payment which will, or stipend to then become a resident or asylum seeker or um, get settled status in Rwanda, which would seem to me to be the smartest thing to do. It's just about, it's the optics of it, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Like, you've got to, you've got to hand it to them, especially pretty, pretty, pretty I was going to say hand it to the government, but especially Pretty Patel. Like, she'll do the most optically outrageous thing. She'll advocate for something that just looks so dehumanizing and she'll smile about it as you texted me while she was talking before and look smug about it. Mm -hmm. And it's like she just doesn't care. She doesn't care. But I mean, I guess that's part of the image, but 
damn. Like, no, I don't, think, I don't think it's not part of the image. She doesn't no, no, care. No, part of the image that she tries to create for herself, this kind of just hard, heartless person. It's just, it's wild that they don't think about the optics or don't care about the optics. Um, but, though that is the optic. The optics is hard line on immigration. That is the optic. Well, yes, yes, yes. Because this idea of, like, oh, there's, you know, coming coming across an illegal route. At no point have they ever pointed out what exactly is a legal, an illegal route. Because what is an illegal route? Since when is crossing the channel on a boat illegal? Like, on what basis is it illegal? I think the point is, if you're, if you are seeking asylum, you've got to present yourself at a port of entry. So... There's no, but there's no, there's no way to claim asylum from uh calais because there's no um there's no home office outpost there well yeah that's a problem too but what there's I mean, anyone in paris but the the argument would be is that if you're trying if you're coming to if you come into the united kingdom and you're claiming asylum you should be presenting yourself now obviously i know this is you know in the ideal world and refugees you know tend not to live in ideal worlds it's part of the point but the point i guess what they say is if, you, if you're trying to present, if, you, if you're seeking asylum, you're supposed to present yourself at Dover, at Calais. You're not supposed to get a to boat who? And, and land on some random part of the coast in Kent and just slide into the country. Okay, that's, so, that's ab- oh, absolutely. So, again, so why have you not set up a, a processing office at Calais? Sorry, not Calais. Sorry, I meant Dover, Folkestone. I mean, so basically... Yes, but then you would have to travel from Calais to get to Dover and Folkestone because you cannot apply to, in Calais. How is that? You, as a person who's traveled traveled across the country and has landed in France, have no access to a computer or to internet. Don't speak French or any other. There's nowhere for you to be processed here in Calais, and that's the closest point to Britain. How do you how do you now access the asylum process to apply to um to um for asylum in Britain? What is how do you do that from there? You cannot. The way for you to do it is to get to England and make your asylum claim once you land in England. If they would put an asylum office in Calais, that would stop all the people travelling across, would it not? Not stop all of them, because some of them have no intention maybe of no, making any sort of asylum claim. No, but the thing is, I mean, again, I, I'm not I'm not, I'm not trying to say, I'm not trying to, at the end of the day, people are in desperate situations. I'm not trying to tell anybody what to do in that situation because I don't know what I would do. But I'm just saying, the point, the, the point that they, they, they would try and say is that, okay, fine, you're trying to claim asylum, but you, should, you shouldn't just be landing on the coast and then trying to go somewhere and live in the country. You should be, if you get on the coast, you should then present yourself in Dover or, or whatever town, whatever is your closest. Absolutely, I absolutely agree, but that's what people are doing. And if people are, when people are trying to land in Dover, when people are trying to listen, when people are trying to land in Dover, they're trying to stop them from landing in Dover because when they do land in Dover, they do claim asylum. Yeah. I mean, uh, my my it speak it, it going back to the point you were making. It speaks to how relations with France are just so crap um, that there's just no. There, sh- there, there should be a better way. There should be a proper process, like you said, the processing on the other side. But the thing is, as well, is what gets me. The biggest thing that gets me in this is that when they talk about you know defenders of these policy of this policy and policies like it and and arguments like it, they they say that oh well. Um, why are these people trying to come to Britain? They they've they should be going to the first safe country, and, and France is a is is a safe country. So let's 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 take that to its logical ending. Say you've got, for argument's sake, hundred million refugees in the world. 
the logical end of the argument is that Britain should take zero because everyone should go to France. They've already been to a safe country. Now that's just stupid because you can't no. one country to, to take all of the people because they're on the. But also, it's like, well, if my family is in the United Kingdom, or if I have a cousin or a couple of friends, why would I stay in France when I have somewhat of a network? in another country because one i'm more likely to make it to be less reliant on the welfare state if i have a community around me whereas if i stay in france it's going to be a lot harder i've got to learn a third language like let's all come let's all use our common sense i think also um because otherwise why did pretty patel's family come to the united kingdom why didn't they go to the first safe country in africa and you're right at the end of the day most people's like why didn't they go to kenya English is the second most spoken language in the world, not French. You know, that's that's one that's one big reason. Exactly, like people... there's a reason. Well, there's like there's a reason why people you know who are maybe Algerian or Moroccan will stay in France, mm-hmm. and the reason that people from Nigeria or Ghana or Libya might come here because of the different, like you say, you know, you go around, you colonize all the countries. The ones who speak your language are more likely to come there. Simple as the same reason that you can get a date a direct flight with um. Um, with Air France to um, any sort of African colony that speaks French is the same way that you can get direct flights from the United Kingdom to a variety of Caribbean countries. Apply sense, please. Chickens coming home to roost. You lot made the you lot made the first journey. We're making the journey back. Yeah. You reap what you sow. Um, but and this idea that people make questioning this policy somehow are being racist towards Rwanda and what's wrong with Africa and what's wrong with Rwanda and why are we being so insulted? So no one is so disgustingly disingenuous. First of all, pretty Patel of all people. She tried no to one. do that in the House of Commons to Corbyn as well today. So basically, she tried to it's the same kind of thing. You, that, that kind of um, I said it, but I didn't really say it. What are you really trying to say, Jeremy, about Rwanda? Are they not good enough? It's like. Come on. You the same Rwanda that on the foreign that the on that the foreign and commonwealth office websites su- suggest that it's not a safe country for people to visit, especially if you identify as LGBT. That's that that country that you're talking about. Make it the same the country that is desperate for um um men of a working age because they're recently coming out of a tumultuous civil war. That country who is, who is rebuilding. Use sense, please. What's important to know? Oh, because if because if, if Rwanda was state as stable as you lot are talking about, they wouldn't need to accept 120 million from you lot to set up an asylum processing plant. That's why all those other countries in Africa turned it down already, because they are stable enough and they don't need your money. Because when you was asking Ghana, Ghana told you to get lost. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rwanda wasn't the first country. They no. Um, which is as well. It's it's so far. It's so far away. Like so. So what? Is it? Chartering this... flight, government money, spending, yes. chartering mm-hmm. flight after flight after flight after flight. Absolutely. I mean, and they said that anybody who comes across the channel will be eligible to be sent to Rwanda. And I don't understand the difference between sending men and not sending women and children. Like I really do not understand what the difference would be. Well, that's part of this very, it's very dodgy. Weird. You get you always get this kind of language around refugees and they, you hear it around and that's why a lot i've heard it as well around the ukraine situation where people will be like oh it's okay because it's women and children and it's like it's so it, it's just given that sort of age-old 
oh, their men are going to come and rob our women type thing. Yeah, They're absolutely. Like one crazy. of the MPs pointed out today, he said, this idea that all young men who flee from these countries or who come across the channel are economic migrants is that when a lot of these people are fleeing wars, they're either picked up by one side and ushered into war to fight for them. And if they're not picked up by that side, they're killed. And the other group are picked up by the other side and ushered into war. And these men are fleeing war and fighting for something that has nothing to do with them and something that they don't believe in the same way that everybody else is. Look at what was happening in Ukraine. Men were not allowed to leave the country. They tried to get people who are not even from Ukraine who were students there, they would try to force them to stay in the country, the same ones that they were calling all kinds of racist names. They're telling them that they should fight alongside them in the war. No, let me go home. Let me get out of here. These are the same people that we understand fleeing war and um, violence. We're now allowing them to come and stay in homes in the United Kingdom, but it's the ones that are coming from any other country. We do not understand that what that they might be fleeing, and it's a lot harder for them to pass through the countries that they're coming from than it is for Ukrainians to land in Poland and get a flight from Poland to the United Kingdom. And even in, when they arrived in Poland, there was no um, provisions made for them to be able to apply for asylum from Poland. Again, the office that they were sent to didn't exist. And the... Um... The, the language it's just been so stark as well hasn't it like and it, i always hesitate to have this conversation because it sounds like you're trying to um do what aboutism and or oh, what about these refugees but it's not that like there's a stark difference in the language and the attitudes used towards ukrainian refugees who are deserving of everybody's sympathy the president of the so world are, the president so of the world health organization pointed out and sort of talked about how there's a hierarchy of treatment and a hierarchy of assistance when it comes to um, refugees. So when he talked about Ethiopia, um, the um, current crisis going on in Eritrea and Ethiopia, the crisis going on in Afghanistan, yeah. the crisis going on in Yemen, the crisis going on in Palestine, the crisis going on in Syria, people are starving. People in Afghanistan are selling their organs to pay for food. There's been a, they're selling children. There has been a um, starvation crisis in Yemen, a humanitarian hunger crisis in Yemen, yeah. and we're continuing to sell bombs to Saudi Arabia, mm-hmm. who's bombing them into oblivion. So there's no f- way for them to have any sort of access to food. Ethiopia's going through a, a, almost two years civil war, yeah. which has uprooted millions. So it's, it's almost as if, but what about these, these people? They're going through the same. So if we can have, yes, rightfully, this sympathy and the assistance for people fleeing Ukraine, why is it different? for obviously it's a rhetorical question we know why what why is it different for 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 people in like you said yemen ethiopia um uh uh, across all across the sahel like mali loads of countries in in the sahel in africa just going are on fire literally and have been for the past two three years so why is it different we know why and it's but i think sadly it's taken this ukraine crisis to make it more obvious to more people that, like you said, what the president of the World Health Organization said, there is a hierarchy of refugees. Yeah. And we're seeing, and I think for people of the diaspora living in this country, I think we've always known it, but to see it so quite obviously and blatantly shoved in our faces when we know, when we have families, friends, or, you know, just um, um, people who's um, suffering with which we can relate, we see them, you know, crying out for help. And to see them be roundly ignored or sort of painted as money grubbing economic migrants who have no desire except to take take and suckle off the tea of the state is really, really quite distressing to watch. And it feels like the, we don't sometimes it does feel like you don't have any way to be able to combat this. And, you know, the uh, 
local elections are coming up it's an opportunity to have your voice to make your voice known I mean I can't see who's really offering any sort of viable alternative or offering any sort of alternative voices on this issue at the moment because it doesn't really feel like the the largest opposition party has taken any sort of stance other than you know it's going to cost too much and even then they're not really talking about it Keir Starmer spent the last however many weeks talking about being tough on crime and creating neighborhood support groups to talk about local criminals when currently people's um, monthly rents are quadrupling, going from fifty to two hundred pounds a month, and he's and Keir Starmer just does not even seem to have this finger on the pulse of what is ma- what matters to the public at this moment in time, which is a looming refugee crisis and a looming food and energy crisis that people are about to be living in when October hits, even when when this new national insurance um, hike hits. One last thing on uh, Rwanda. Um... It was interesting, wasn't it? The, you had the Rwandan president who was doing the rounds. He's in all he's all over the Caribbean at the moment. All over the Caribbean last uh, during the last uh, the week before Easter, wasn't he? He was in mm-hmm. Jamaica. He was in Jamaica. He went to Barbados. Then he went to the Bahamas. What is he um, coming around to tell us that we should do it too? <laughs> well, that's the thing. I was looking. So what does he want? I looked under a lot of every time a leader, whether it was Andrew Holness in Jamaica or Mia Motley or the Bahamian uh, press, whenever they posted a picture of him landed in their country, like half the comments were either you've sold out to Britain. Um, don't be telling our people to do the same thing. We don't want that. Or talking to the politicians of those countries in their comments saying. Oh, We're not interested. You know what he's doing. We're not uh, interested. Yeah. Don't sell, don't take British dirty blood money. Cause that's what it is. Blood money. Um, but yeah, he was, he was, I, I, it was, I guess it's convenient for him. He was out of out of Rwanda, so he didn't have to. Well, I mean, the freedom of the press isn't exactly um, amazing there, um, but he wouldn't have had to face any kind of pressure because he wasn't in the country. No, maybe that's why he's on he's on the on the run for a bit until it quiets down. Well, I mean, this, the, the, the trips he was making across the Caribbean would have been planned ages ago. So mm, yes, and and as this announcement would have been maybe as well. The announcement, maybe the announcement, the announcement might have been. Planned to be when he was out of the country. Yeah, of course. Yeah, um, don't think, yeah. There's no people who are pleased are him and Mia. I mean, not him and Mia. Sorry, sorry, Mia. Him and Pretty. Apologies. Pretty Patel. I don't, man. I just, I, I know what you're saying. That she's, she does have an audience, and so the optics are good for a certain crowd. But absolutely. it's just how, it's just how blatantly. Horrible. I know someone who absolutely loves her. Thinks she's the bee's knees. I mean, wow. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at NotBanePod. And if you're listening on iTunes and you enjoyed what you heard, rate us five stars. It helps us get up the rankings. If you didn't enjoy it, ignore everything I just said.